Welcome to the Liberty Room. That's right, the Liberty Room, where conservatives can speak their minds with all the freedoms guaranteed by our beloved Constitution. The Liberty Room with me, the one, the only, the Jim Wood. And then sitting next to me, my friend, my brother, my fellow American red, white, and blue patriot, that high-flying tall drinker, how do you do, Dwight? So for the next hour or so, strap in, hold on, but don't hold back when you're hanging with us in the Liberty Room. You know, tonight's probably going to be a little bit of a, of a sober episode more than, than usual. Um, you know, many of you probably have been uh, watching the news today and seeing what's going on in Afghanistan and what people are saying about our, I hate to say president, number 46, who's being a complete pain in the rear end. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of sobering tonight. You know, we have, we have a, across the table for me right now, we have the wolf. Um, and I can't say that the wolf is in a particularly good mood. I would say he's probably angry, pissed off. And, uh, I'm, I'm kind of interested in seeing how this episode goes tonight. Um, let me let me start off with something just to kind of set the mood here. If I say the phrase "free Britney," what does that mean to you, Wolf? Free Britney? Yeah. Who gives a crap about Britney right now? Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. Why? Wow, what did you have in mind? No, I was just going to start off with that to see what what I could get out of you. Um, I, right now, I, I you know everybody jokes about the vein in my forehead, and you can see me across the room. What oh, am I doing? You're, you're rubbing that vein. I'm rubbing my head right now because. You know, I, I just, I, I just told my brother Dwight here that you know all day long I have been on kind of a roller coaster, up and down, up and down, up and down. I've forcefully tried to put, absorb absorb myself and my work and stuff to where I would not think about what's happening today. And and even though this airs on Friday, this day our podcast debut on Friday, we pre-record these things. And right now, um, we're recording this on August sixteenth. Mm-hmm. which is Monday and we're here Monday night. What is it? It's probably close to 11 o'clock at night and we're is. doing this, you know? Yeah. Um, so who knows what's going to happen between now and Friday when this comes out. But just today I tried to purposely absorb myself in work so I wouldn't pay attention to it. Um, but I can't bury myself in a hole. Every time I would come out of the back or come out of my office or come out on the floor at the, at the, at the gun store, uh, everybody was talking about it and I would feel just, just the tension rise in me, just, I mean, hate. I'm so angry right now, so angry for, you know, my country. I'm so angry for the Afghan people. I'm so angry for my, my brothers and sisters in arms, other combat veterans. I'm, I'm so angry for, uh, you know, uh, our fallen soldiers, uh, not just the the 2,448 Americans, uh, but the the nearly 3,500 coalition in total uh, uh, soldiers who were who have been killed in this conflict, um, you know, all the way up to the over 335,000 civilians that lost their lives in this conflict, for this to be the way it goes out. I'm just angry, man. I'm just I'm pissed off and I'm angry. I'm doing everything in my being to keep my language as clean as possible, but I'm just fucking angry. Yeah. Well, we can tell. I mean, again, there goes that that vein in your forehead, but and you have every right to be angry. I mean, people like you who served your country for as long as you did, 
who put yourself, your blood, you sacrificed for the for us to have the freedoms that we have in this country. You were you were over there in Afghanistan and Iraq freeing people, trying to promote democracy in, in an area of the world that frankly has no clue what democracy is. And then for 46 to come out today and say what he said based on an absolutely colossally horrible Charlie Foxtrot. I'm trying to keep it clean. Uh, a Charlie Foxtrot of an execution of withdrawing our troops. And he acts like nothing really happened. Well, you know, uh, you know, just to be clear, it's I, Trump's fault. Yeah. Well, I'll get to that in a minute, but to be, you know, to be clear, I never served in Afghanistan. I did serve in Iraq. Um, so therefore during the Obama administration, when we pulled soldiers out of Iraq, I went through this same emotional roller coaster that I'm going through today. Mm -hmm. When I sit and I watch on TV, watching these insurgent forces come in and just take our equipment and ride around in Humvees, that it's a good possibility that I actually set in and used, set in and used and went on patrols in. Right using equipment that was there for American and coalition forces to watch them just leave it behind and, and talk about what a colossal mistake that was. Talk about the mistakes made. Joe Biden was vice president when that happened. Mm -hmm. So for him to make the same mistake in Afghanistan that he's done now, when I sit this morning and watch the, the Taliban forces inside of MRAPs, multi you know, some of these things are multi-million dollar vehicles, drones, MRAPs, even M4s, you know, something simple down as, as small arms. I saw a picture of them in a helicopter. They got American helicopters where if it were me or you without a security clearance, we would go to prison just for having access or gaining access to those. And we just handed it to our enemy. How hard is it to wrap that crap in debt cord and blow it up before we leave rather than giving that to the enemy? How hard is it? It's not hard. And I sat and I watched him do it uh, as they pulled everybody out of uh, out of Iraq, went from Operation Iraqi Freedom to Operation New Dawn, mm -hmm. and he's doing the same goddamn thing in Afghanistan and giving our enemies the tools. He's trying to say that we are no longer our presence in Afghanistan is no longer making this country safe. Well, it's making it a lot less safe when you give them the technology and the weapons to use against us. Yep. Or to sell to the Chinese or sell to the Russians or sell to the Iranians. So they can copy it and be on the same military foothold that we are. Yep. Well, in, you, you look at countries like China. They're, they were waiting Baited for the U.S. to walk out of there. I mean, I was looking at an article today on the U.S. Uh, US News that talks about China's preparing to recognize the Taliban if Kabul falls. <laughs> I mean, they're waiting for us to leave so they can waltz in part of their 100-year plan because they're looking to expand their sovereignty and their influence, and it's at the expense of America. It's at the expense of American soldiers who paid with their lives. And 46 does what? Pontificate on TV about how, no, we're not really evacuating. We're still going to have, we're, we're going to send some troops in and we're, we got these C-17s taken off out of Kabul. We're going we're gonna to have an embassy at the airport. Please. For nearly 80 years, 80 years, we've had a presence in Germany. Mm -hmm. We've had a presence in Japan. Yep. Those were not forces there to uh, co uh, commit 
active combat roles. These were there to keep the peace, mm-hmm. to keep the keep these at the time when we went in smaller countries to be overrun by people taking advantage of the situation. So when Biden pulls everything out at one time, I, you know what? I mean, I've got a, a young man that I've known since the day he was born who is making comments on social media today about how this is Trump's fault. Biden comes out and he talks about, you know, he makes sure he puts his political agenda in that little speech he made today. And he, for the most part, throws throws shade on Trump, even though he did spread it against across the last four presidents. And don't get me wrong, this is as much Trump's war as it is anybody, and I'm as big a Trump fan as there are out there. But this war was going on when he took office, and this war was still going on when he left office. Now, he got a peace treaty signed where he said there would be, by May, there would be no more uh, combat operations in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. We ended combat operations in Japan. We ended combat operations in Germany, but we still left this peacekeeping contingency behind. Yep. There were 2,500 Marines left in Afghanistan. And as long as those 2,500 Marines were still in Afghanistan, the Taliban bit their lip, and sit on their ass. Why? Because 2,500 American Marines is equivalent to a full army in some of these countries. Yeah, they sat in their holes and waited. We Our, our soldiers were, were keeping back that Taliban tide. And then we just pull them. Same thing they did in Vietnam. Yep. My problem, and well, one of my many problems, is... The fact that this country, the country I love, the country that I, um, I, I've offered my life for, um, the fact that I get out of bed walking funny now, the fact that uh, I'm sore in places most people my age ain't sore yet, the reason why you know I have to go get physical therapy type treatments just to be able to walk straight, Never, I was never wounded, don't get me wrong, but you spend years carrying body armor. You spend years jumping out of airplanes. You spend years uh, abusing yourself like that in any manner. You know, you're going to do damage to your body. Well, I used to say I'll worry about that when I get old. Well, I'm old now, mm-hmm. and, I, you know, and I'm having to worry about it. Would I go back and do it again? You're damn right I'd do it again. I don't care how much it hurts to get out of bed. But this country, since the Korean conflict... That police action has been nothing but fault. Uh, the 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 war the wars or the conflicts have been led by politicians and fought by soldiers. We we've never fought these wars to win. Never. I mean, you and I talked about this before the podcast started. World War Two. It was overwhelming force. Absolutely, because we let our military leaders lead. Right. I mean, you had generals like Patton who wanted to continue on into Russia to go take care of business over there. Yeah. You know, and we held our politicians held him back. But you get into the Korean War, you get into Vietnam, you get into Desert Storm to a certain extent, Iraq, Afghanistan. We fight to detente. We don't fight to win. We fight to a draw. And then we withdraw. And then when the and then and as you know, in any kind of power vacuum, someone's going to step in. The, the North Vietnamese knew this. You know, everybody goes back, you know, and we can talk about the media, we can talk about everybody's role in it. Um, you know, when when did uh, when was the Vietnam War over? It's um, kind of a trick question. I'm guessing mid to late 70s. 
Well, we actually left the country in 75. Okay. But the war was really over when Walter Conkite got on TV and said, the war in Vietnam is over. Really? Five years before we got out. You know, the protests are starting, the, the mm-hmm, public sure. opinion, court of public opinion, all that. You know, the media's had so much to do with it. I'm so angry right now. I'm not even, I'm not even thinking about the media. But when you look at how, um, how, news, how these, the news is reported, you know, during World War II, there was still all the patriotism. There was still all the, the push, even before we knew about Hitler's concentration camps, before we mm-hmm. ever knew about the final solution. You know, where, where they had laid out the plan on killing Jews and gypsies and homosexuals and anybody that was not of that Aryan race. Right. You know, before we even knew about that, all news came through the military signal corps and filtered through the Associated Press and, and Reuters and these, and these news agencies that filtered it out to the rest of the country, the mm-hmm. rest of the world, actually. Mm-hmm. In Korea, all of a sudden now you're seeing more press in there. Because the politicians were bringing the press in there. Mm-hmm. In Vietnam, same thing. When you talk about the battle in Idrang Valley, you, you, uh, um, the, uh, uh, there was a movie made about it. Uh, uh, we Were Soldiers we were Once and Young. With Mel Gibson. Uh, Mel Gibson pl- uh, played uh, Colonel Hal Moore. Yep. Colonel Hal Moore was uh, an old school, hardcore, hard-charging son of a bitch. And he had a sergeant major with him, Sergeant Major Plumley. I actually had the pleasure of shaking that man's hand one time. And let me tell you what, that man was old and wrinkled, and he still scared the shit out of a young paratrooper. He was a bad mofo, mm-hmm. all right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I say it that way because I'm trying to keep it in check. Yeah. You know, and those were the last generation of guys where if your country calls for you to go to war and to, and to, and to complete a task, they did it. Right. But did you know halfway through the battle, the first major battle of the Vietnam War, they tried to call Colonel Moore out of the battlefield to come back to brief the officers and the press? I remember that, yes. And he told them to go to hell. His place was with his soldiers Mm -hmm. because he promised them he would be the first foot on the battlefield. He'd be the last one to leave. Yep. It's not like that anymore. I can tell you for a fact, when I was in Iraq during the surge, Mm -hmm. when we got there, all right. When we got there, it was a free fire zone. What What does that mean? That means any military age male carrying a weapon was a target. Okay. Okay. Because uh, quite honestly, there's two sides. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're on the and, and if you're out somewhere where you ain't supposed to be and you're carrying a weapon, then you're obviously not on our side. Right. Okay. Um, too many times. I mean, these are people who would um, find kids in the street at curfew. And they would tell them, you know, if you uh, if you don't do what we tell you, here's what's going to happen. And they would take these kids. I'm talking 8, 9, 10, 12 years old. They'd put a grenade in their hand, and they would pull the pin and tell them to hold that grenade. And they want you to go to that overpass. Or they would st- have you stand out in front of a gun truck convoy or some sort of uh, military convoy coming through. And you would either drop it off the overpass into the gun hatch, or you would stand there until they hit you with it to let that pin go or let that spoon go in order for that grenade to detonate. And they would tell you, even though it was a lie, they would tell you that we have your family hostage back home. Oh my and gosh. if you don't do what we tell you to, we're going to kill your whole family. These are the sad sack motherfuckers that we're dealing with right now. Yeah. And all this peace, love, happiness bull crap and this political stuff, this political posturing that they're doing is fur- furthering that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. 
Because right now, pulling out of Afghanistan the way Biden did it has done nothing but empower these sick, twisted people that do stuff like that with children. We're helping to facilitate that. When we stop letting warriors win wars and politicians got involved, we have made the world a worse place. In Korea, in Vietnam, um, and, and, and even in places uh, in, in Central Europe, where we've had a presence for the longest time, I mean, it doesn't matter. Every conflict we've been into to this point right now has just made the world a worse place. Politicians have made this world a worse place. And right now, Biden is the king turd of the bowl. Well, politicians need to stop running wars, especially if they, even if they have military experience, you're a politician. Let your general, your general's there for a reason. Empower the general, tell him what the end goal needs to be and let him go meet that end goal. I had this conversation today. I had, um, you know, um, I've got friends. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. I know. I've collected a lot of people over my lifetime. The wolf you know, is well connected. I won't say well connected, but connected. Yes. You know, and I've made friends in the Marine Corps. I made friends in all branches. I'm not too well connected in space force yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> all right. But you know, I, I had a couple of phone calls from, uh, uh some Marines I know, uh, and, uh, some out of Fort Bragg and a few other, uh, old soldiers and young soldiers and, I got a call from a Marine today. Um, you know, he's just so frustrated with everything that's going on. Um, you know, he's been to Afghanistan. He's been deployed there in a combat situation. He was an infantryman. And, um, you know, in his frustration and, and, and at some point, you know, the old soldier's got to let the young Marine vent because mm-hmm. that's what we're here for, to take care of the guys that come after us. Right. You know, to teach them and, and, and be there for them when they need us. And, and he called me today, and one of the things he said, it, it was he said, why can't we live in a country where a commander-in-chief has to be have military experience? You know, not just term limits for these idiots in, in, in Congress and Senate, you know, but if you're going to hold that title of commander-in-chief, and I don't care, this is Democrat, Republican, anybody, you should have military experience. You should have served in the military to hold that position. Because they, unless they've walked in them boots, they have no clue as to what's really going on. That's true. Well, and if you look at the presidents who have not had military experience, and even we'll set aside Trump for a minute because I think he, I think he did a good job as commander-in-chief without military experience, but most of the ones who didn't never relied on their joint chiefs, never relied on their generals who are telling them, hey, here's what's happening in the field. They just, it, it kind of reminds me of in Vietnam, I've seen pictures of um, LBJ. Now, I believe he had military experience, if I remember correctly. No, I'm not really sure. Um, anyway, um, I remember seeing pictures of him pouring over charts of which hill that they were going to take in Vietnam. Why the hell is he doing that? Why is the president down in the weeds? His job should be to set the vision, okay? Attack that country and bring back all the gold. Okay. And then the general's job is to execute, you know, set the time limit. I want it done in 30 days. General goes out there and does his job. You empower him. You give him the people, the armament, whatever he needs to make the the job done. But our presidents today who don't have military experience are too busy trying to micromanage a war. They have absolutely no experience doing none. None. Do you know why the, um, um, the green berets are in existence? No. Why is that? Do you know what the, um, there's a part in Fort Bragg 
there's a, a little group of buildings all put together that are there that honors uh, the man who um, facilitated the creation of America's Army Green Beret Special Forces. Mm-hmm. It's called the JFK Special Warfare Center. Okay. John F. Kennedy. Um, you know, and I, like I say, this ain't Democrat or Republican. This is this is right or wrong. This is the way things are supposed to be done or the chaos that we seem to be facing right now. Mm-hmm. John F. Kennedy, who was uh, on a PT boat that went down in the South Pacific and who was lucky to be alive, who, who served in a combat theater, who served as a, a sailor um, in an area where his life was in danger, who understood what it was like to be under fire. Mm-hmm. All right. He knew that the world we were coming into was going to change from conventional warfare, as in World War II, or you know, division on division warfare, such as in Korea. Mm-hmm. He knew what was coming on. He saw the writing on the wall. This is the same thing that we did, and we've talked about this before. The same thing that we did to Ho Chi Minh when the French were forced to pull out of Indochina. You know, nobody nobody looked up to America like Ho Chi Minh. And the Americans went in there, and we he was on our side. We were all part of the same thought process mm-hmm. until we screwed him over, and he needed help, and that's when he turned to the Russians. Right. JFK knew what was going on. He knew what was happening. He knew the type of warfare that was coming, and he knew the necessity. Because of his military experience, he knew the necessity of creating this special forces unit in order to, to train these guerrillas and fight on a smaller guerrilla style. Because, you know, in, in, in the military right now, we have different, different branches have different arms of, uh, of special forces units. Mm-hmm, right. But the Green Berets were the first, you know? And, and their job was to go into the, the highlands of Vietnam and take the mountain, the mountain yards, who was the, 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 the group of people that lived in the mountains, mm-hmm. and teach them guerrilla warfare. Okay to teach them this stuff because they knew what was coming on. They talked about um, the the troubles in Vietnam while we were still in Korea. We knew stuff was going on, so the intelligence was there. And JFK did what he could to support that and create this group and to to, uh, help mold our military into the future. That came from his military experience. How many people else has that experience since JFK? Very few. Jimmy Carter, he was in the Navy, didn't do crap. Mm-hmm. You know, um, George W. was in the Air Reserves, didn't do crap. Mm-hmm. You know, so when my young friend, uh, young Marine friend, made a comment that our commander-in-chief needed to, to have military experience, I said, let's take it one further. He should be in a combat arms unit of the military. Yeah. Not somebody who pushed papers. And listen, all my brothers and sisters, whatever they did in the military, we all signed the same dotted line. They are as important to me as anybody in my bloodline, anybody in my friend circle. They, People I have never met. If I see a veteran out and he needs a hand, he's got it for me. You know, But when it comes down to it, there's two different types of veterans. There are... Veterans and they're combat veterans. Mm-hmm. And I, I know we've said it before, and I'm probably, for anybody who listens regularly, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but in our country, we have uh, just over 1% of our population actually serves in the military. Out of that 1%, only 1% of them actually see combat. Wow. Very small number. Very small number. 
So when you're sending guys into guys, uh, men and women into harm's way, you need to know what you're sending them into. Yeah. If you've never been over there, you've never done the job. And again, this is speaking from a civilian perspective, but I understand what you're saying. You know, if you're going to send people into harm's way, you need to know what you're sending them into. And, you know, you, you, you want, as commander in chief, you want the respect of those you are sending into combat, right? Absolutely. How, how can they respect you if, I mean, I know based on the title, you have some level of respect, but if you'd never done the work before, right? Every, every, every command you give is going to be questioned. There, there were things about prior presidents. You know, do I respect the fact that, that Jimmy Carter was a, a sailor? Absolutely, I do. Sure. It's probably the only positive say thing I can say <laughs> about his presidency. Right. Was the fact that he was a member of the military. You know, Gerald Ford, member of the military. Mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan. Was he in the military? I don't know if Reagan was or not. I can't remember off the top of my head. You know, but you go down the line, you know, George Bush the first was a, was a fighter pilot. Right. God bless him. Well, and 43 was in the military. 43 was in the military. And you know what? I, I was in the Army mm-hmm. when 43 was president. All right? And you know, one of the things that never got out, and maybe was only known in certain military circles, did you know that in the middle of the night with no cameras around, no press around, 43, George W. Bush would sneak out of the White House and go to Walter Reed and visit wounded troops in the middle of the night when nobody was around? God bless him. We knew that. Now, there's so many policy things, and there's some trust issues I got with that man right now Mm -hmm. for his actions after his presidency, his active presidency. Right. But for the fact that military people knew how much he cared about us. Yeah. And let me tell you what, when he stood there on ground zero and he said, I hear you, and soon the people who knock these buildings down, they hear you, they will soon hear from all of us. Mm-hmm. Man, I get choked up now. That fires me up. Yeah. I'm ready to roll. I'm yep. a 55-year-old fat man, but I'll take it one more time. <laughs> I because still, that's the gospel. These people attacked yeah. our country. I still have his speech recorded somewhere from when he talked about the axis of evil. And when I listen to that, it fires me up that... For a brief moment, we came together as a country, right? But short period. Very short period. But at the same time, and again, from a civilian perspective, looking at what he was doing, I felt that he had the back of our military. Oh, you know, we all did. And, you know, for the most part, we all did. And I'll tell you what, whether he knows it or not, all of us guys who were on the front lines, r- literally on the front lines, mm-hmm. you know, not none of this crap they try to compare, you know, healthcare workers now during COVID or anything like that. I'm talking about actual war where we were actually on the front lines and bar province in Iraq, you know, where I was, you know, when you hear those stories that filter back through the, through the lines, you know, if you hear the filters up through uh, different units and stuff about Bush going in and, and meeting with and talking to where there's no cameras around, zero cameras, zero press, Yeah. Just the president, a lot of times Laura Bush would come with him, and they would just come into somebody's room and sit down and have a conversation. Do you understand what that does for the morale for 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 troops, especially frontline troops? Wasn't there a Christmas where he did that in Iraq? Where oh, he, he yeah. Brought they, him over in Air Force One and yep, no one knew? Nobody knew, just showed up on Christmas morning. They, they had some kind of uh, distraction for the press, and he yep. shows up. And I'll never forget when that happened. I, I remember it and thinking, wow. Now, that's a commander-in-chief right there. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, and and like I said, I blame Trump for this mess as much as anybody. 
you know, any of the last four presidents. Um, but, you know, one thing that struck me funny right at the very beginning um, of, of on Inauguration Day, mm-hmm. all right, um, the morning of Inauguration Day, um, there was a story that went out and it didn't catch a whole lot of press. It didn't get a whole lot of discussion. Um, I just randomly came upon it. Um, but did you know that Donald Trump, the morning of Inauguration Day, they were getting everything together and they had this military guard out there. And, I, you know, of course, I'm just, I, I'm, I, I wasn't there. Um, but just in a nutshell, he went out on his own and brought a couple of army troops, you know, lower, lower ranking guys, mm-hmm. brought them into the building where he was. And for an hour, they gave him instruction on how to salute. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, it was so important to him that he got it right. And the reason when he was asked why he did that, because nobody was expecting it. It wasn't part of the itinerary. It wasn't part of the agenda. And there was no pre- no cameras around, nothing like that. And and he said, uh, um, they, uh, there's two things I want to say about this. The, the first thing was that when he was asked about it, he said, because I would never want to disrespect them by, you know, doing it wrong. Right. To me, man, that stuck home with me because it showed me that he genuinely cared. Yes. Now, uh, another event that he did, and and I'm not taking away, I'm not giving him credit for anything, you know, as far as what we're talking about here with what happened um, in, in Afghanistan today. Um, but he was actually on one of those trips to um, to uh, um, uh, uh, to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And uh, who is it? I was telling this. I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was the press press secretary. What? Um, um, uh, oh shoot! What was her name? Dark haired girl. Uh, one of oh, my favorites. And her name's just escaping. Yeah, right now. Um, Huckabee. Yeah, Sarah, uh, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee. Huckabee. Yeah, Sanders. Uh, um, anyway, so I, I want to say it was her who said, who was telling this story. Anyway, they said they were going through the lines and they were shaking hands and talking to people. And he gets up on the stage and one of the young soldiers in the front stood up and, and said, Mr. President, he said, I, he's either I joined up or I re-enlisted because of you. Hmm. And they said, without missing the beat, um, uh, the, that President Trump looked down at him and he says, and I ran for president for you. Wow. Because of you. You know, and some people say that was just a, you know, he, he did it. With you know the what the cameras didn't catch it anything like that it was just one little interaction between him and one of our service members, so do I think they care absolutely yeah and I've also told the story about how Barack Obama stood up while he was running uh, for president and said we'll worry about those little things in Iraq and Afghanistan yeah that's a big difference between oh yeah. and Walter Reed in the middle of the night that's right you know and do you think Joe Biden's any different absolutely not because he was uh, um, you know. Obama's vice president and voted against all this stuff. So, I mean, there is a pattern of who cares and who don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think in the case of Biden, he only cares uh, if and when it suits him. Yeah. You know, if and when it affects him. And, and quite honestly, I don't think this war in Afghanistan really affected him. No. I mean, he really had no skin in the game. Well, not, re- not no, he don't. And, and, and oh, go ahead, finish your thought. I'm and all sorry. I was going to say was, I know that one of his sons, was it Bo, Bo, was in the military? Yeah. You know, but I mean, how many children of politicians are going to end up in the front lines? Yeah, serving? No, None. No. You, you even go back and look at in, in Great Bo Britain. Was, Bo was a Signal Corps officer. 
Okay. He was so, he was definitely not what you would call a frontline troop. But even go look at like Great Britain, where you've got was it Prince Harry was like a helicopter pilot. Yep. And I think there was one time where they put him on the front line because he asked. Oh, he or, begged. He snuck away actually you know, a few times. But in reality, he was not assigned to the front lines. No, well, of course not. They're not going. They're to. not going to do that. And so, no. you know, yes, their children serve, but did they really? Well, I will say in in, in Prince uh, Harry's defense, you know, I know guys that were over there, and they were like, "Yeah, he was the real deal." I've I've heard that about him. Yeah, he now he knows he's never. It would take multiple strikes of lightning for him to ever become the king of England. He knows yeah. that's his brother's job, right? You know, um, so he was just like, "Yeah, I'm on it." You know, yeah. so I've I've heard nothing but um, good soldier stuff. Sure, and know? I'm not knocking him. What, no, I, what I'm saying, either, but what, what I'm saying is that it's it's the process. It is. You're right. They're not they're not going to put him in harm's way like they would you or me. Right. Oh, they know. Well, they wouldn't care. I mean, me in harm's way. we're expendable. They'd probably love to shut me up. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but what you said, you know, you're talking about Biden's. Uh, uh, if you just go through his remarks today, what he said, and you can go to uh, whitehouse.gov and you can download the transcripts of his speech today and go through and take the time to thoughtfully look at the words he chose. You know, this the, the, the politicians of today, of today, semantics. Semantics is what it's all about. Pay attention to the words they say, you know. Um, in the, what was it in the first one he was talking about? Um, you know, uh, where was it? I want to speak today on unfolding situation in Afghanistan, the developments that have taken place in the last week, and the steps we're taking to address the rapidly evolving events. United States, the country with the best intelligence, the country with the best technology, the country that has all these experts are so far behind the eight ball, you know, the rapidly evolving events. Wasn't it just like a week or so ago when he said there's absolutely no way yeah. that the Taliban could uh, could do what they've done? Yeah, exactly. And, not, and even if they did, they were talking about how it would take years for them to, to catch up. Well, it took them like 10 days. Six days to take the capital. Six. Okay. Six days before you saw Taliban officials sitting behind the president's desk in their equivalent of the Oval Office. Before they chased away the president of Afghanistan, who largely is a puppet, but... The president who ran away from Afghanistan with suitcases full of money. Oh, but but he did it to uh, to uh, not put the people in danger. Yeah, you know, he's talking about monitoring the, the situation on the ground in Afghanistan. They're moving quickly to execute plans, uh, looking for uh, uh, respond to every constituency, including contingencies, rapid collapse that we're seeing now. Well, everything's after the fact. Why didn't we see you, this beforehand? You made the abrupt move to pull everybody out, but this is not something that you laid a plan in place for. Even if it's not plan A, plan B, plan C, if it's plan L, why do you not have this plan in place of a what-if scenario that it can? When I teach the gun classes, we talk about all those what-if scenarios. Mm-hmm. And the biggest what-if scenario is the one you could never plan for. What do you do on the one you can't plan for? Right. You know... There's a term in the military called broken arrow. Do you know what broken arrow is? Uh, you know what? I've seen the movie, and I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming that that has something to do with the movie. When you're completely overran and you have to call in support on top of your position, yeah, which puts you at certain death in order to stop the enemy, that is a last resort. Even if you call a broken arrow, mm-hmm. it's still a plan in place, and they didn't even have that plan in place. Yeah, because we're being led by a bunch of imbeciles who have no experience with what they're doing. 
Yeah, I mean, I love how he says, I'll speak more in a moment about the specific steps we're taking, but I want to remind everyone how we got here. Okay, here you go, Biden. Start laying the blame on everybody else. Yep. Start, start diverting the attention. Start putting it everywhere, but on the shoulders where it actually lies, on your feeble-minded shoulders. You wanted the job. You got the job. Whether it's illegitimate or not, it's yours right, right. now. Right. You're responsible for what happens. Absolutely. He said, uh, uh, we went to Afghanistan almost 20 years ago with clear goals. Those who attacked us on September 11th, make sure Al-Qaeda could not use Afghanistan as a base from which it attacked us again. Well, did we accomplish that? Did we ever totally accomplish that? Totally accomplish it? No. We didn't because too many politicians were in the way. That's right. You know, in Iraq, they did the same thing. They got to an area where it was bogged down. Then they then they created this surge. Mm-hmm. And like I said a minute ago, I started to allude to, uh, to talk to about a minute ago. When I got there, it was a free fire zone. Mm-hmm. All right. Then then General Petraeus come in, who's a politician in military clothing, basically. All right. We all referred to him as General Petraeus. I remember that. Yeah. You know why? Because all of a sudden, the rules of engagement abruptly changed. The surge was working. We were making a difference. We were beating back our enemies. We were uh, uh, taking away their will to fight as well as taking away their war fighters. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they went, oh, no, wait a minute now. You need to call and ask permission before you can before you can shoot at somebody who's shooting at you. See, that was the problem. Okay, I, I got to comment on that just for a second, Jim. Yep, you're okay? When I went to Iraq in 08 as a civilian, I had to go down to Fort Benning for uh, CRC, Colonel's Replacement Center. And we sat down, there was all of us contractors, and they talked to us about the rules of engagement. I remember we we're sitting there, and it was, it was a colonel. Colonel Williams was his name, and he had a first sergeant there that was actually pretty comical, and they had a little routine going. But half of the tent was contractors, the other half was military, and they're going over the rules of engagement. And when it got to the point where if you're being shot at, you can't shoot back until you have permission, all of us contractors, we're almost busting out laughing going, uh, I'm shooting back. I mean, you can throw my rear end in jail when I'm done, but if you shoot at me, I'm shooting back. Now, I understand the soldiers over here on the other side of the room, you know, I know we were under the, you know, the UCMJ as well, or the Uniform uh, uniform Code of Military Justice, for those who don't oh, know yeah. what that is. But as a civilian, you shoot at me, I'm shooting back. Now, I may not have the same arms that all you guys, all you soldiers have, but if I've got two Berettas on me or I got an, I've got an uh, M14 or something, I'm shooting back. Throw me in jail when I'm done. But that was the problem. Even my dad, you met my dad. Oh yeah. Hey, my dad was a UH one pilot in Vietnam. Thank you. Even he's told me before in the past, he's been shot at while he was in his UH one. They couldn't shoot back. You're in combat. Yeah. I can understand if it was, look, we don't want you to go bomb this city without permission. Okay, fine. But if you're being shot at, it should be just a regular standing order. Fire back. Yeah. Defend yourself, and you got to kill the enemy. You kill them. That's how you win a war. Well, you know, I, so frustrated, you know. And I, I was telling you earlier about a friend of mine who was uh, who called me from Afghanistan one day. Yep. And that's a whole separate conversation. But you know, that was one of his gripes. It, he said, "Man, we're doing it again," because he was with me in Iraq. He said, "We're doing it again." When he got to when he got to Afghanistan on one particular deployment, it was uh, free fire zone. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody shoot at you, you shoot back. Right. When you're on an offensive, you know, if, if somebody tries to ambush you, you take them to task, you know, and you eliminate that warfighter, war eliminate their will, eliminate their possibility to continue making war on you. Yep. All right. 
by the time he got done, he was like, man, they've got it timed because the ROE changed. All right. Guess which general was in charge of this too? Who? Uh, Betrayus. Oh gosh. All right. When he, uh, he, he was like, they've got it down. They've got it timed perfectly. He said, they'll step outside one of these little hooches. And he said, they've got an AK-47, Kalishnikov. Mm-hmm. He said, in a 30-round magazine, they know it takes a good, well-timed 30-round mag to empty a 30-round magazine at American and coalition troops before you can actually get radio co- uh, confirmation back that you can return fire. They'll shoot that 30 rounds. Once they get done, they set that rifle down. They throw their hands up in the air. They're now no longer a combatant, and you cannot engage them. That's BS. Two seconds ago, he was shooting at you. Trying to kill you. But once he runs that through that 30-round mag, throws his hands up, now all of a sudden, you're supposed to go give him a hug. No. Give him a bullet between the eyes. No shit. You know, I'm telling you, this, this, this right now, our country is in such dire straits. I've never seen it this bad. I don't, I, I, you know me, man, I'm a history fanatic. Mm-hmm. I read, I watch, I study. I've done this for years and there is no other time in our history that we have ever been in the position we're in right now. And we're teetering on the edge. Yeah, we are. We're very much doing that. I mean, he's talking about, you know, how we uh, severely downgraded Al-Qaeda and talks about, you know, how up until the point to where we never gave up the hump for Osama bin Laden and we got him. That was a decade ago. Yeah. Okay, so that was a decade ago. I'll never forget the night that they found that they got him. The guy that was my can mate, you know, that lived uh-huh. in the cans with us in, in Al-Takadam, uh, Iraq, called me in the middle of the night. Are you watching the news? They got him. <laughs> you wow. know? And I, so I remember that night when, when it came across the newswire that we got him. How they handled it is bizarre beyond means. Oh, it was ridiculous. You mean the whole Dumping uh, him in funeral? the ocean Yeah, that stuff? was dumb. All that right? was absolutely dumb. That was, that was more inexperience right there. Yeah. All right. Um, but I remember that. Okay, so 10 years ago, we got him. What have we done in the last 10 years to truly support, uh, set up support for this country so that it would, the things that happened today didn't happen? Probably not much. We kept funneling. We were complaining because, you know, the, the, the people we were training was not doing it. We were paying their government. We were paying this. We were doing that. We're sending money in there that they're using to shore up and make com- uh, make uh, um, uh, commitments and, and connections with our enemies. Yep. You know, so we had 10 years. And like I said, that falls on Trump's shoulders as much as it fell on Obama's shoulders, as much as it falls on Joe Biden's shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess the only one that's not getting that blame is George Bush. Yeah, that's true. Because he wasn't there post Bin Laden. Right. You know, so to me, that right there is as much his responsibility as anybody. Um, they said it's, uh, you know, the only vital national interest in Afghanistan was to, it was and always has been preventing a terrorist attack on American homeland. Well, by us walking out and letting it collapse in on top of itself, who knows who's moving in now? We China, just Russia, a, Iran. We create a whole breeding ground now for terrorists. We Absolutely. give them a whole country. So we've done nothing but thrown gas on the fire of the people who want to attack our homeland. Yep. And what happens while the southern border's wide damn open, letting anybody in that wants to come in, we're just opening ourselves up to it. Yep. I mean, it's... It says uh, he, that he argued our missions would be narrowly focused on counterterrorism. All right. Um and, and not counterinsurgency or nation building. I'm the first one to agree that we are not nation builders. Yeah, we're not. 
You're beating your head against the wall when you go into a country that is centuries old in their method of governing themselves. All of a sudden, you think in 20 years, 20 years compared to hundreds of years is nothing. Yeah. I think we look at, well, and we've had this conversation before the podcast. We look at what we did in Japan and Germany, right? Yeah. We bombed the, the hell out of Japan and pretty much the same thing out of Germany. And look at them today. They're powerhouses today. We real, we built them back up. But the sure. difference between them and the Middle East is that Japan and Germany were independent countries. Yep. Okay. That they didn't have the same democracy that we had, but they had a functioning government. Right. Okay. And the people understood that. You look at the Middle East today, or even before we went into Afghanistan, it never really had a functioning or any functioning governments over there. But, you know, all this, go the, back, go back a few years. And we touched on this before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Go back to 1983. Okay. For a couple of years up until 1983, when the Russians pulled out of, of Afghanistan, mm-hmm. we were secretly funneling money and weapons and training to the Muj- Mujahideen. We were. And we helped put them out. The Stinger missile, mm-hmm. the Stinger missile single-handedly ran the Russians out of Afghanistan with their tail between their legs. Right. And as soon as we got Russia out of there, it was more of a focus on Russia rather than closing the back door on Russia to let anything else come in there. Yeah. Because as soon as we ran the Russians out, we made all these big promises. We said, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And what happened? We walked out and left them hanging. Yeah. You know, we promised them schools. We promised them health care. We promised them all these things that they never got. And who comes sweeping in and taking over? The Taliban. Yeah. And then we go back. And make the same promises all over again. And why would they even... Why would they li- believe us? Yeah. We already lied to them one time. But what I was getting at was simply that, you know, the people in the Middle East, they're not used to a democracy. No. They're used to being subjugated. They've been subjugated for thousands of years. And for America to think we can just walk in there and one day say, hey, you can now vote for your president. You can now live peacefully. These people have no idea what that is. No. <laughs> They've never experienced no. it. Now, that's just like, you know, I, I used to remember my grandma saying, uh, you know, when she was growing up during a depression, her family was so poor, they didn't know there was a, such a thing as a depression. <laughs> wow. You know, you, you, these people don't know the first thing about freedom. No. All they know is survival. Mm-hmm. That's it. And they'll do what they have to do to survive. And instead of taking our form of government and trying to shove it down their throats that they would never understand, why don't we, why don't we look at the ways that we teach and how we adapt you know, uh, uh, ways that help make America secure and safe from that point of view by helping them develop their own form of government. What works for them. What works for them, Yeah. not force our way on top of them, you know. No, uh, we've got to the point now where we believe that our way is the right way no matter what way it goes. Mm-hmm. And, and Well, I read a headline earlier just, to you. I don't know if they ever wanted to win. Well, I read a headline, headline earlier to you that said, State Department calls for the Taliban to include women in its government. So yeah. <laughs> we're willing to, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to recognize the Taliban as a government if they allow women to serve. Again, we are forcing our way of life onto them. Not that I'm against women in government. I'm all for that, but that's not how they operate over there. And, and on top of that, do you really think the Taliban cares that if we, no. if we recognize them or not? No, they're going to do they whatever, whatever they want. Shit one way or they the other. No, yeah. Because all they want is their way of life. Exactly. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't, it just drives me crazy because watching American history 
the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, even the Civil War. You know, just it is a just looking out over top of it. Do you think Lincoln went down and, and made battle plans? No. Do you think Jefferson Davis made battle plans? No. No, that's what they had the generals for. That's right. Now they said, okay, here's here is the agenda we want to accomplish. Go make it happen. Well, I'm sure they asked the general, "What is the plan? Show me your plans." Yeah. But they weren't planning on which hill that general's going to go take. World War One, World War Two. Mm-hmm. Go fight this war. This is what we want to accomplish. Right. Korea. All of a sudden, it started changing. Yep. They got a taste of it there. Vietnam. Completely different world. Mm-hmm. Completely different world. I mean, if in Vietnam, if if they had turned our generals loose, when you got um, some of the most brilliant minds, young staff officers from World War II that learned under people like Patton, mm-hmm. you know, take those tactics and, and Patton, you know, you realize that, that that Patton was also a a student of a Confederate general. I did not know. Um, yeah, there there's there was conventional soldiers, and there were some they referred to as raiders, mm-hmm. which did more like Indian fighting, guerrilla tactics. And one very famous Southern general uh, led a group of these marauder bandit type of tactics, you know. And as he got older, he was friends with Patton's father, mm-hmm. and he was old and was kind of having a hard time. I get his age was catching up to him. And when Patton was a little boy, they used to go out on horseback and he would mimic Civil War battles and show Patton what they did and how they planned and how they schemed. Oh, wow. Unbelievable, you know. Uh, no matter what you think of the country's Civil War, you know, that's not a, not the topic at hand right now. Mm-hmm. But the fact you go back and you look at, at where he learned how to be a, the, the brilliant tactician he was. Yeah. You know, handed down from one to the other to the other. You know, so you in Vietnam, if we would have let those generals go and let those war fighters go, we would not have got bogged down. The 70s would never saw us in war. Mm-hmm. The Vietnam conflict would have been over before 1970. Sure. Because we were just killing them in all the battles. Yeah. But the North Vietnamese knew it was a politician's war. Mm-hmm. And all they had to do was wait it out. Wait it, out. it became a war of attrition. Yeah. Who could wait it out the longest? Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's been the same ever since. Who can wait it out the longest? And that's exactly what the Taliban have done. They can make all the comparisons they want to the fall of Saigon, to the, to the, to the fall of Afghanistan today, with the helicopters coming in on top of, the, of an embassy, or the people falling off that airplane who were scrambling to try to get out of that country for what's going on. You can make all the comparisons you want to, but the big biggest comparison that people need to make is who waited it out longer. Yeah. Well, and the Taliban knew that we were going to leave eventually. You know, I heard a quote earlier today that said that um, the Taliban had said to the, to the U S that, you know, you guys have the watches, but we have the time. Yeah. And you know, they just sat in their holes in the mountains and they waited. Yeah. And they knew eventually they were going to, it's, it's kind of like China. Okay. For for, for centuries, China has been quiet. They've done nothing. Suddenly they've started to grow and they're, they're patient. They'll steal some technology here. They'll take some stuff over here. And eventually they've gotten themselves into being a superpower. They were not in a hurry. They're waiting out the world. That's what the Taliban did with us. They knew we were going to leave. They'll just wait. Hey, they, they, they waited out the Russians. Yeah, they did. Now they'll wait us out. Well, I mean, it doesn't, 
you don't have to live in a cave to see what goes on in in advanced countries such as ours. Right. And when I say advanced, I'm talking about the fact that you can walk into a room in your house or sit on your couch and flip open this little notebook, push the power button, and watch live footage of what's going on in Afghanistan today. Mm-hmm. You know, they know. They know with the just like the North Vietnamese knew with all the press that was there, all the press that was reporting back to every corner of the United States, they knew that the people, do, generally people do not have the stomach for war. Right. They don't. I mean, that was, that, that was the issue. Um, I, again, I go back to the Civil War. I can go back to the uh, Revolutionary War. One percent of the colonists were actually in favor of the war. Mm. That low of a percentage. Always. It's always. When you go through each one, you look at the percentage of how many people uh, want peace versus how many wants war. Now, and I say wants war, let me tell you as a warrior, Mm -hmm. as somebody who has earned his combat infantry badge, um, I never want war. But unfortunately, with the human nature factor, um, it's inevitable. Right. All right? Um, You know... When it comes down to how many colonists actually stood up to the British compared to how many colonists were in the colonies, it's always, as you go down through history, except for maybe the Civil War because people were conscripted, mm-hmm. um, and World War One and World War Two, where conscription came into play, but where it was a volunteer army, just like the, uh, the patriots of, of the uh, late 1700s, um, it is an extremely low number who will sign up and go, yeah, mm-hmm. it's worth it. Right. You know, so you don't have to be buried in a cave somewhere with no technology whatsoever in Afghanistan to know that every American knows exactly what's going on because they can flip that switch and see what's happening. Right. And they know that, yeah, all we have to do is wait them out, just like the Vietnamese did. Yep. It's... uh, uh, Well, not, not only wait us out, but they can also use propaganda against us, knowing that we're going to see everything, right? Absolutely. You know, we'll show some children being blown up and we'll say, well, it was that American convoy over there that did it. Every American in the U.S. is watching this thing. Suddenly it turns, it's public opinion turns in their favor. Well, again, I go back to what, you know, Biden's words today in in his address to the nation. You know, you got leaders of the Taliban right now who do have access to where they can sit and watch it in real time, Mm -hmm. you know, being broadcasted from the White House. And they heard in that, in that speech where Biden did his best to blame it on Trump. Yep. That part of that speech had no business being in there. Now, I will give Biden credit, and it's hard for me to do, but I will give Biden credit. He's, you know, He did bring it up that you know, it is the war of all the last four presidents. And that's true. And it's very true. Yeah. You know, but he's doing everything he can to deflect everything away from him. When he talked about Trump, he said, when I came into office, I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the Taliban. Under his agreement, U.S. forces will be out of Afghanistan by May 1st, 2021, just a little, a little over three months after I took office. So what's wrong with that statement? Well, it, you said U.S. forces would be out. Right. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't refer to it as what it was. He said combat forces, yeah. meaning that portion of the military that actually wages war. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, you know, that's not the way he put it. He propagandized it. He, yep. he twisted it to, to try to foot, force uh, put blame on somebody else other than himself for his actions in the last few weeks. Did you know that his military advisors, not his White House advisors, mm-hmm. his military advisors all advised him against this plan? 
I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. They all advised him against this plan, and he went against their will, and he did what he wanted to do anyway. Whatever it was, his agenda was, and it collapsed in on top of him. The military people told him what was going to happen, and it happened just the way they told him. And and where's the media in all this? Because, you know, when Trump was president and he went against one of his advisors, the media jumped all over him. Oh, my gosh, he listens to nobody. Yeah. But here we have where people are literally dying in Afghanistan. Yep. And suddenly we're all going to be quiet about it. Hey, we, you know what we took, we, we took all the, the fighting people out. You know, we took, we, by the, by that date, we, you know, the agreement, we honored the agreement with the Taliban. We took the, uh, the people who are going on the offenses, uh, where there was no more, uh, uh, plans laid out to take an offense against the Taliban by coalition right. and American forces. Uh, we did all that. And there was still about 2,500 Marines still left. Well, majority Marines still left in, in, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. No combat actions going on, but 2,500 Marines. We go back to what we said. You know, we've got troops in, Af- in, in, in Japan. We've got troops in Germany. But only 2,500. Think about how size of our military. Yeah. You know, over 300,000 strong at its weakest point. 2,500 out of them yep. was still in Afghanistan. 2,500 Marines kept the Taliban just scared enough to where they kept staying in their holes where they belonged. Mm-hmm. So what is what was wrong with us leaving a contingency force there, a peaceful contingency force? As long as it gave us that presence in there, that helped maybe give that Talib or, may, or give that uh, Afghanistan government time to shore up and build up its confidence. Would it could it have ever just totally come to fruition? We'll never know now, will we? No. But but we were yeah we were given the Afghani some some security. Yeah. And imagine the stability we were also offering the Middle East. Yeah. Now you've got the wild, wild west happening in Afghanistan. Yeah. We have, I mean, we, we have a bit, we have effectively abandoned not only our ally, and I hate to call Afghanistan an ally, but they, they kind of were because uh-huh. they were a puppet government, government to us. But if you're an ally of the United States right now, and I, I don't know if I told you this earlier, my, my wife, who's from Poland, her uncle texted me. And earlier today, he goes, Dwight, you have the worst U.S. president ever. Yeah. And I said, I know. And he says, he said to me, he said, if Russia were to invade Poland right now, he's like, I don't think the U.S. would come to our help. And I said, Chris, you're absolutely correct. If look at what we did to our ally Afghanistan, if we turned our back on Afghanistan, yep. you guys in Poland are screwed. Yeah. Putin will roll right through there, and all Biden's going to say is, uh, where's my ice cream cone? Yeah. I mean, that's all he's going to do. We have abandoned our ally. Yeah. And, 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 and in effect, we have, we have destabilized the Middle East even further. Yeah. Well, it was funny to listen to him and how he conflicted himself. You know, he made conflicting statements in, in his remarks today. You know, because at one time he's insinuating that it was Trump's. I inherited the deal that the President Trump uh, negotiated um, I had to make a choice as your president, either follow through on that agreement or be prepared to go back fighting the Taliban in the middle of the spring fighting season. Did you really? And then he goes on, goes, well, there's only one cold reality of either following through the agreement or withdrawing our forces or escalating the conflict of sending thousands more troops back into Afghanistan. Um, no, it wasn't. First, you're trying to blame it on, on Trump. And then you said you had only one decision to make. Mm-hmm. Um, the military leaders... The, the Joint Chiefs, the DOD folks, they're the ones who gave you another option. Don't do it. 
Don't you, do it. You Leave that 2,500 contingency force in there right. and let's ride it out and see what happens. Yep. But no, you, cho- you chose to pull them out. Whatever in your sick, twisted, vacant mind of yours made you think that this was going th- this was a viable uh, uh, policy to, to follow through on, well, what was it you said oh, two weeks ago? There's no way this could happen. That's right. Well, I, I think, honestly, I think Biden needed to win. If you think about it, he's losing the war on COVID. Badly. Okay. His, 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 his poll numbers are actually below 50% for the first time. I think he needed a win. And I think he looked at this and said, if I can pull the troops out, I can claim that I was the president that ended the war in Afghanistan, got our troops home safely. Sure. Again, it was all about him. Right. It wasn't about our country. It wasn't about our allies or any of our soldiers. It was yeah. about him and his ego. Yeah. Well, he made this statement, we're cl- we were clear-eyed about the risk. We planned for every contingency. And then he goes on, but I always promised the American people that I would be straight with you, and the truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. We planned for every contingency, but it unfolded faster than you anticipated. So you, you did or you didn't? I, I, I'm confused now. One paragraph after another, right straight from the transcript. I got it right here in my hand. We planned for, uh, we planned for every contingency, but it unfolded faster than we anticipated. So what happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military military collapsed, sometimes without trying to fight. Well, after 20 years of occupation in this country, we didn't know who we were dealing with. Mm -hmm. When Ami Karzai was there, he pushed uh, Obama around like a little bitch. He did. (laughs) You know, I've got a lot of firsthand information, a lot of firsthand experience with some of the things that Karzai did because that was when I was contracting. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the company I worked for, he was pretty much, you know, uh, the sole reason why uh, uh, some U.S. contracting companies uh, folded. Really? Companies were awarded contracts, and after they awarded those contracts, they put money into those contracts. Mm-hmm. And then Karzai made a threat to the U.S. government, and Hillary and Obama pulled the frog out from underneath these companies. I know 11 companies right now that do not, that did, in a matter of one phone call, did not exist. Wow. The company I was with, we uh, lasted almost a year, mm-hmm. but it was such a big hit to that company. That was it. It's unbelievable. You know? And it was just all that private backroom deal between Karzai sure. and, and Obama and Hillary, for that matter, because mm-hmm. she was Secretary of State at the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not even halfway through the list, and we're already an hour into this. And I, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not sleeping tonight. I don't know how you can. Uh, I'm, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not really a drinker, but I'm gonna have to break open a bottle of bourbon. Uh oh. I mean, that might make it worse. Who knows? Um, yeah. I, I, I said in, in the beginning, I, I don't think we're a nation builder. Mm-hmm. Tell me why, for ten years after we know that Bin Laden was dead, that we weren't, instead of actively trying to kill the Taliban, why we were not actively shoring up the government to the point to where. Um, it may take a hit on a day like today, but it wouldn't total catastrophically fail. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. I, I think honestly, Jim, we ne- we didn't have a plan. I, I think no. after I think after Bin Laden, we just stopped with the plans. Yeah, it just came. And again, this is from a civilian perspective. I I look at it and I feel like we got Bin Laden, we're done. So now, how do we get out of here? Well, and, and and we just kept people over there. We kept up some combat. We kept up combat operations, but we really had no concrete goals. 
Well, you know, he, he said today that, uh, you know, they gave him every chance to determine their own future and we couldn't provide them with the will to fight for that future. Well, that's a lie. We did provide them with the will to fight as long as we were watching their six. Yeah. As long as, again, that contingent, that 2,500, you know, group of Marines were there, they knew that we had their back. Yeah. That empowered them to do as, their job. As soon as Biden pulls them out, then all of a sudden we're not watching their six and, and they run like rabbits. Right. You know, he talked about when he talked, when he hosted President Ghani and Chairman Abdullah at the White House, and, and, and you know, he was imp- impressing on them how they need to stand and how they need to fight. Well, when of course they're going to stand and fight when America's got their back. Yeah, right. You know, but as soon as they know that America's left them hanging out to dry, they ran like a bunch of little bitches. Yeah. With suitcase full of money. <laughs> yeah, our money. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly our money. You know, and that just that's that's one of the things that breaks my heart. And, you know, seeing it in Iraq and seeing it, um, in well, here you know, reading the stories about it in Vietnam, seeing it in Iraq. You know, all those people mm-hmm. who who believed that America could help America could help them become more like America. Yeah. You know, to to the the freedom they didn't understand, the freedom that they saw only saw in pictures, or the freedom that we promised them that they couldn't imagine. What do we do? Leaving them hanging. And right now the Taliban is threatening to kill the families of all those people who fled that helped America. And if they and if we've never learned anything, you know, we can feel confident in the fact that even if those people go back to face the Taliban, don't worry, the Taliban's gonna kill them and still kill their family. Yeah. Just to just to put the fear in everybody else and and maintain that control through the fear. Make an example of them. Yep. I mean how many things can I say that has just raised my blood pressure today? I mean, the big one was the the equipment, too. Yep. Look at the amount of equipment we left behind. Now, Biden's whole first part of his speech was to talk about, um, you know, take away the threat to America. Yeah, but you left everything behind. We just We just supplied a whole new army that hates America. We gave them helicopters they didn't have. We gave them Humvees. We, I mean, drones, munitions. We, uh, small arms. Artillery. We yeah. gave them everything. How hard was it? As your, if you can't afford to bring it home, and I saw this in Iraq. This the one of the local TV stations came in and interviewed me when this happened in Iraq, and I made comment to this years ago. How angry I was that Obama did this. Well, who was Obama's vice president? Do I have to remind everybody again? Was it Joe Biden? It was most definitely sleepy coward Joe Biden. All right. He, uh, you know, so he, what does he do? He makes the same mistake. How difficult would it be to go out there and get that MRAP, that big buffalo, that mine-resistant uh, uh, vehicle mm-hmm. that costs the taxpayers, m- costs more taxpayers, one vehicle costs them more than they'll make in, in, in a decade mm-hmm. in some cases. How hard is it to go out there and wrap some debt cord, throw a little TNT inside, and detonate that son of a bitch so nobody else can have it? They were smart enough to do that in World War II. They were smart enough to do that in other wars. All of a sudden now, in modern times... We can't do it. We can't do it. Even when we went into Iraq, Saddam Hussein did not think that we were going to be there. They didn't. Th- they thought that we weren't going to stick it out, which obviously we didn't. Mm-hmm. All right? But what did he do? Instead of destroying his stuff because he had faith that America was just there to posture and politicize... He buried it. He buried it. 
<laughs> you know, you, when you were a contractor, how many of those dining facilities and places did you go to where there were uh, airplanes without engines outside as sign of a, a display? <laughs> um, it, was, it was one. It was one. Yeah. I know they had them in Taji. They had them. They had them in TQ where we were at. You know, because you know when they go to build some more structures, all of a sudden they'd start digging foundations. They mm-hmm. would find these these caches of airplanes that were that were buried in the ground, so we couldn't see them from satellites. Yeah. He'd pull the engines out of them and wrap them in saran wrap, this you know the shipping mm-hmm. type of right. uh, uh, of film, and bury the engines too. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, the equipment that we have just supplied this Taliban army with is some of the most high high technologically advanced uh, uh, stuff they got. Hey, the Taliban now has drones. Thank you, Joe Biden. You yep. ignorant motherfucker. And what's going to happen is that several years now, when we have to go back in Afghanistan or do something else in that part of the world, it's going to be the U.S. versus an MRAP they used to own. Yeah. Or that Black Hawk helicopter run around. Yeah, that was one of ours. Now it belongs to the Taliban. Yep. Uh, you know, I I know there's all people of all different ages listen to our podcast, and I'm, I got a trash mouth, I know, and I apologize, but I can't take it tonight. I can't take it. Mm-hmm. You put that parental sticker or whatever you need to on this podcast because <laughs> it's it could be a lot worse, but it can't be any worse than what happened that we witnessed today. Yeah. Well, it, it, this is a travesty what happened today, and yeah. it, it never should have happened. I mean, it, Biden effectively turned his back not only on our ally, but most importantly, the American people. How yeah. about the Americans who were left behind there? You know, you had yeah. the, was it the Secretary of State spokesperson made a comment oh the other God. day about how Americans are not going to be the first to be evacuated or not, it, it won't just be Americans that are the first to evacuate. No, those are our, our countrymen. Yeah. They come out first. Yep. You get our people out right. and anybody else that wants to jump on a C-17 that we have room for, fine. But you get our people out first. Yeah. You get those interpreters out that we Absolutely. promised. I mean, these 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 Afghanistan interpreters put their lives on the line to help us. Risk everything. Risk, Risk the families. everything. And now we're not going to help them get out of danger. We did the same uh, thing in Iraq. Yeah. We are here's a here's Biden saying we're not going to repeat the mistakes from previous wars. You're doing the same thing. Well, they're saying they're going to bring three hundred thousand out, but you know what? Right now they're sending in. It's already news. I'm not giving up any you know opsec operational security, none of that stuff. Right. Uh, because I did have conversations with people today, and maybe some of those conversations might have been violating opsec. I don't know. Um, but uh, I'm a civilian now, so I don't give a damn. Mm-hmm. Um, you got but, some top secret for us? <laughs> I wouldn't repeat it because my brothers are in harm's way. I understand. All right. But yeah. right now they are, they have deployed part of the 82nd airborne division and anybody who knows me or has listened to these podcasts know how dear, near and dear the 82nd airborne division is to, to my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a proud veteran of the 82nd airborne division. Uh, to me, in my mind, in my heart, there's never been a full military unit that ever has been better than the 82nd airborne division. Um, there are churches in the south of France that have the 82nd logo in their stained glass because they hold them in such really? high reserve. Yeah, because of what happened during D-Day. Wow. I, I, I did my best to live up to a legacy that was handed down to me by great, great, great men. Mm-hmm. I have it tattooed on my arm. I have it a sticker on the back of my truck. I mean, I'm as, as proud a pair, 82nd Airborne Paratrooper as they come. Right now, there is a large contingency of the 82nd Airborne Division going into Kabul. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is one of the primary uh, directives of the 82nd or primary objectives of using a unit like the 82nd Airborne Division is to secure bridges, beachhead or bridges and airports, mm-hmm. entry points into areas. Right. 
and they are trained to be surrounded. Mm-hmm. Paratroopers who who get on a plane with a parachute on their back, eager to jump in the middle of a fight where everything they have uh, that to their name, to their survival, is on their back, and will jump into a group into a middle of anywhere to fight 360 degrees around them, there's something seriously wrong with that individual to begin with. And I love every <laughs> damn one of them, mm-hmm. you know? But they're one of, their, one of their things that they're trained to do is to secure airports. So right now, the 82nd Airborne Division is in, probably there by now to secure that airport, to secure, secure that perimeter and make it a little bit more orderly. So once they get that, once they get that secured and once they get uh, in there, when you've only got several thousand in there, they don't have access to any of their old equipment, any of their old gear, any of that. I mean, what's the possibility of these civilians now scared for their life because they're going to be living under the Taliban uh-huh. to turn on the Americans? You can send in two, three, four thousand uh, members of the 82nd Airborne Division, which is probably equal to about 15,000 of any kind of enemy troop. They can still be overrun. They can still be overrun. So they're going to get the, the, the are they going to get the Americans out? And they're talking about these other three hundred thousand. Do you know how long it takes to move three hundred thousand people? A long time. Do you think the Taliban's going to sit back and oh, wait no. for them to start pulling those people out of Afghanistan? No, I don't either. No. In fact, I actually expect the Taliban to. I mean, I know they got the three hundred thousand supposed to be coming out. I expect the Taliban to try to stop that. Sure. You know, sure, we, we and Joe, might Biden, get, Joe Biden can stand up there and say, if you if you aim your weapons towards American troops, American people, that will come down on you from above, blah, 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 all he wants to. But these people believe if they die for their cause, they're going to be rewarded in ways that we cannot even imagine. Therefore, they don't care what our response is. They look forward to death. They I made do. a comment one day to somebody who looked at me like I was a little nuts. Well, I'm a veteran of the 82nd Airborne Division, and you cannot threaten to violence to anyone who embraces it. Mm-hmm. That's true. If they're ready to die, <laughs> they're, what, what are you going to do to them? Exactly. That's Nothing. what I'm saying. You know, we could go on with this all night, and the vein in my forehead is still throbbing. It's not went down yet, and it's not going to go down for a long time. I can see this coming. But before we wrap up tonight, there's one little thing that we haven't touched on that I want to get out there and be clear. What's that, Jim? These spineless little bitches who call themselves Republicans in our government right now that have not at least exposed, handed out, written up whatever the process is, an impeachment process for Joe Biden for what has happened today, they may as well go over to the Democrat Party and make room for real conservatives to get involved and get in there and actually take America back. That's right. There, there is no reason for articles of impeachment to not be drawn up. I mean, honestly, what Biden has done is in my opinion tantamount to treason of this country. I, well, you, you've turned your back on American citizens, American soldiers over in Afghanistan. You, you know, stomped on the memory and legacy of great men and great women. Exactly, who have served our country in, in those in those areas. You have rolled back the gains we've made in the past twenty years in that country. And to me, that right there is it, that's high crimes and and misdemeanors right there that that is the that is the very definition of what we should be impeaching for we, we've talked we've said it before politicians you know that's that's just such a dirty word you know uh, there's no such thing as statesmen no more our last our last podcast uh, we talked about leadership yep. <coughs> excuse me 
we talked about leadership, and I listened to one of the talking heads this evening on, on talk radio talking about just the same thing. Again, where the Liberty Room is trailblazers, you know. Wait, 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 uh, is there a spy in here somewhere? <laughs> I'm beginning to think so because it seems to be happening more and more often. Um, but, you know, I, I listened to him on the, on the show, talk, on, on his radio show, talking about the same exact thing. And he made the same comment that I did about statesmen, mm-hmm. you know, about the lack of leadership, not just only in, in government, in military, in, 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 in your home. You know, about people, we, we don't breed leaders anymore. Right. And, and the fact that they're right now are not, you know, elected officials from the Republican Party, true, cons- you know, people who claim to be true conservatives, true American patriots, why they're not on some of these Newsmax or maybe even Fox News or, you know, OAN or some of these other more conservative-leaning news channels talking about how right now we're drawing up articles of impeachment. We know that there is absolutely no way that it would ever pass because we don't have the numbers. But drag Biden through the mud anyway. Absolutely. Bring up that conversation. Bring up that talk. Because we got people right here in this country, their head is so far in the sand, it ain't no different than some of these Afghanis back in the back of a cave. They don't pay attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the more you talk about it, the more you bring it up, the more you push the issue, the better likely chance people is going to start going, well, what's going on? That's right. Well, if you don't say anything and you don't do anything, you're just, ignorance will continue. And you're a part of the problem. You're a part of the problem. You're just as guilty as Biden is. That's right. Well, when Biden was talking this afternoon, I got on, on social media and I was calling for his impeachment. Oh. And I know there were some others that were calling. And again, I don't have a huge platform. You know, Jim, you got a bigger one than I do, but none of us are really clue. You know, we're, we have no tie to Fox News or Newsmax or any of that kind of stuff. But we're out there putting our names on the line, publicizing that he should be impeached. And I agree with you. Where are our Republican leaders? Why aren't they calling for the exact same thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not just him. I mean, not just him. It should be, you know, invoking, uh, you know, the Democrat Party. Because a lot of this is was what he was elected on. Yeah. Whether you believe it was a true election or not, the people who supported him. Anybody out there who, who voted for Joe Biden, you're the problem. It's That's right. you. That's right. You're the problem. And if you don't like what I say, call me on it. Yeah. Because I'm still going to tell you you're the problem. Yeah. You know, I, I don't understand it. Some of the, the Republicans are just as bad, if not worse, because they don't say nothing. Yeah. What was it uh, uh, Mel Brooks said in, in, in Blazing Saddles? We got we to gotta protect our phony baloney jobs. <laughs> that's, that's right. You know, and that's exactly what they're doing. I don't mean to make light of it, but it's, you know, you're taking humor, something that's supposed to be a joke, and showing that now, just like we talked about, idiocracy earlier, mm-hmm. how that movie just so relates to today, even though it was made... You know, going on 20 years ago, uh, you take another movie that was made in the 70s mm-hmm. and how it relates now to politicians. Because when it comes down to it, either you love this country or you don't. And if you love this country more than you love yourself, you'll stand up and do the right damn thing. That's right. Well, you'll stand up, you do the right thing, you'll elect leaders who are actually going to lead and do the right stuff. And it's like what uh, Robin Williams said in that movie, um, Man of the Year. You yeah. know, politicians are like dirty diapers. They should be changed often and for the same reason. Yeah. And and that's what we need to do. If we've got Republicans who are not going to do the right thing and they're not going to call for Biden's uh, resignation or his impeachment, get out of office. Oh. You ought to be done. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. 
I mean, I'm ashamed at this guy who's in the White House right now based on what he's done. He is an embarrassed. He's embarrassed us on the world scene. Yes. He is and just continuously one after another. Not only has he embarrassed us, he has showed us to be weak and feeble. Yep. And we're not a superpower that we really are. And we're going back to the days of Obama where we are going to lead from behind. We're no longer going to be out in front. And the enemy knows that. The Taliban knows that. China knows that. Russia knows that. Why do you think Russia's been saber-rattling by moving? They were moving, was it, missile launchers uh, several yep. months ago over there to the Polish border? Yep. Why is that? They're testing to see what we're going to do. And what are we doing? Nothing. I tell you what, if all this breaks out into World War III, and don't think that's a conspiracy theory. You're looking at the posturing right now. You've got uh, the the availability of the place in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You're looking at Iran, China, North Korea, Russia. You're looking at all these countries now, the way they're posturing up and the way we're showing weakness the way we are. Don't think that World War III just, can't, just doesn't happen to be around the corner. Yeah. It's a very good possibility. It is. We're all talking about civil war in America because this idiot in the White House and this idiot in our governor's mansion in, in Richmond and these people are, are, talking, are, are trying to lock down its own citizens to gain power and control over this, what is in, in the big world picture, a, a small portion of that stage. Mm-hmm. And when we get so caught up in fought, fighting in that, that where they're trying to take our freedoms away from theirs, so these these people have an opportunity now to just kind of drape over top of everything and suck every bit of it up as while we're while we're being weak. Mm-hmm. And then you got Biden doing this in Afghanistan, which actually just magnifies the weakness that is America right now. That's right. We we've destroyed any influence that we have, and quite honestly, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I I look at it from a and I'm, I I know we want to, we got to wrap this up too, but you know it. it we have done nothing in the past 10 years to other than Trump signing a peace agreement or starting the, the, the peace in the Middle East, which he did the, the first his historic agreement. Absolutely. We have done literally nothing to stop a potential world war three from happening. No. And giving over Afghanistan is like, you just, we gave over an entire country to a, a, a an organization that's dedicated to seeing the eradication of America. Yep. That was on on TV today, saying that they are dedicated to spreading Islam throughout the world. Yeah, that's their end goal: spread Islam throughout the world, make all of us Muslim, or kill us if we if we don't want to comply. Yeah, so, uh, you know, somebody put a thing on Facebook. Uh, I, I think it was our friend Brandy. Um, I can't remember if it was her or not. Uh, but somebody put up a thing one day here in the last couple of weeks that said, "Remember, uh, while you're protesting your." transgender rights while you're protesting about your feelings there are people somewhere uh, uh, um, training to make war and when you two meet he will win i made a comment there was a preacher came into the store one day and we were talking and and uh you know i teach a women's only class and turns out that we started a conversation because this preacher went to uh classes to learn how to be a firearms instructor okay and I was kind of like, really, a preacher? It's a firearms instructor. He said, well, I have to take care of my people, don't I? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's a really good way to look at it. When that started a conversation. And he actually got me a video from a female instructor I use in my women's only class to this day um, about how women dress differently, how they carry differently, stuff like that. That's not the point. But um, he asked me in the conversation, he said, uh, he said, if it came down to it, he said, do you think 
um, what do you think that the, uh, the 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 Muslim population would do in this in this country? I said, I know exactly what they would do. He looked at me kind of funny. He goes, you do? He goes, yeah. I said, yeah, the same thing I did. And he just kind of looked at me funny. He goes, what do you mean? I said, listen, you know, I, I'm a believer. I believe, you know, and, and not everybody has the right to believe what they want to believe. I said, but I'm a believer. I believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I believe that, you know, when I open that Bible up, I believe the word that's, you know, the words that are in it are, are, are true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I believe I am definitely not the best practitioner in the world. None you of know? us are. Well, you know, and, and, and good Christians believe that they're, you know, they're once a sinner, always a sinner that, you know, you just beg for forgiveness. Right. I guess, cause I'm not, I'm not that good of a practicing <laughs> Christian. And that may be just a simpleton's way of putting it, you know? And I told him, I said, you know, and he, he was kind of confused about what I was saying. And I understood it, why he was confused because it confuses me sometimes. Mm-hmm. But during the, the, the last deployment, um, you know, during the surge that I talk about often, um, uh, there was four of us in our company that our time to get out of the military was coming up. Mm-hmm. All right. And we felt in a window to where if we said we didn't want to go, we didn't have to go. And out of the four people that came up, I was the only one that really volunteered to go ahead and go on the uh, on the deployment. Now, I had other reasons, too. And I told him, I said, but one of the reasons in my mind um, was the fact that I know who my God is. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not the best practicer in this world, I know the difference between right and wrong. And I know that going and 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 giving the skills and giving the effort and giving the belief that I know I have in myself as a soldier, um, I knew that that was the right thing to do for my maker. Mm-hmm. I said, and if somebody like me, who's not the best practicer in the world, who is always not the best example in the world... If I believe that, think of that hardcore Muslim, how he feels about it. Sure. No matter where he lives. Mm-hmm. I said, so by that, I know what they'll do. Yeah. So when it comes down to it, the Muslim faith is a very loyal faith, is a very dedicated faith. Well, um, they, they they live what they yeah. believe. And that's the and difference that, between... That's where I'm going with it. That's yes. the difference between, between Muslims and, and Christians in this country is that... As Christians, we should be living our faith. We should be living every single day exactly what Jesus says in the Bible. But we don't. Nope. Some do. I'm guilty we of don't. that as much as anybody. I am too. Okay? But these Muslims are so convinced yeah. of what they believe yep. that they live it to an ex- to, to, a, to a fault. Yep. They will kill you over their belief. Oh, absolutely. They refer to us as infidels yeah. for a reason. Yeah. And one of those those phone calls I got today, um, you know, uh, from um, from a Marine, mm-hmm. you know, he made he made the comment. He said, if the people in this world, he said, they can talk about it and they can try to deflect it. They can try to move it wherever they want to. But if the people don't think that this is a religious war, you're not only lying to yourself, you're lying to the people around you. Because whether you think it's a, a religious war or not, they do, which makes it a religious war. And to piggyback on that, several years ago when I worked for the DOD, I was a security manager, and um, I was I was at a uh, security conference of sorts in Charlottesville, and we had uh, the FBI was putting this on, and they had a Muslim speaker come in, and he was given a different name. I guess it's called a pseudonym, but we didn't know what his real name was. But he was they, we got his, his fake name, his funny name, 
And he gave us like a two hour discussion on Islam. Mm -hmm. Now this guy was a former Muslim Mm -hmm. who turned Christian. Yep. And what he told all of us, and I'll never forget this is that he said, Islam is an evil religion and you're fighting an ideology. You're fighting a religion. This is not just a war. Now I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that's pretty much what he said. And that stuck with me. And this was back in like, we we at that point we had been in Iraq and Afghanistan for, for a decade. I think this country, we've never identified the true and en- what the true enemy really is. True. We're too yeah. afraid to be politically correct about things. Yep. No, the, the, the enemy is a religion that's evil that wants to kill people who are not in that religion. The religion says just that. Yes, it does. I've seen it in the Quran myself. I have read the Quran. I've got a copy in here. I'll show you. I've got a copy cool. of it at my house. I bought it in Baghdad. Oh, you have, oh, you have an, an official copy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's got a weird camel leather cover to it. It's kind of weird. I bet it yeah. is. But yeah, no, I mean, there's really basically, you know, to simplify it in my simple mind, mm-hmm. you know, there's two books of the Quran. You know, there's a, there, there's a young Muhammad and an old Muhammad. Mm-hmm. And as he was younger, he was more idealistic and, and wondrous and peace and love. And when he got to be old, he was old and jaded and a pedophile. Mm-hmm. And the older book is what everybody seems to follow now when sure. he says that they need to rid the world of the infidels. Yeah. And the infidels even includes non-practicing Muslims. If you don't practice, sure. you're considered an infidel. Right. It is everybody but the hardcore. Right. And they say, and by the time it's over and done, you'll either enslave or kill everything but the hardcore. Sure. And, and, and as a country, we cannot win a battle unless we identify who the enemy is. We never identified the enemy. We just said, oh, he's over there. Yeah. No, it's not just he's over there. It's this person and that person and that person of that religion who wants to kill us. As I spoke to that Marine today, he said, you know, it was a comment he made. He said, you know, it was, it's funny how uh, the world doesn't realize the, the violence in war. Mm-hmm. And not just the violence in war, but the, uh, um, the uh, brutality of the people we're fighting who are fighting on based up based fighting a war based on their religion. Cause they know they're, they, they believe that if they kill the infidel, yep. they're going to get rewarded. Yep. Okay. Or if they die trying, they're still going to get rewarded. So you've got somebody that is as ruthless and manipulating as Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. who knows that he can use that type of fuel and that type of motivation to help eliminate his enemies. Right. Tell me that's not a power that um, is evil mm-hmm. and that would lead us to World War Three. Sure. Well, you know how many Muslims are in Russia? There's a ton. Oh, yeah, and it's growing. Growing, very much so. And so, to me, I agree with that 100%. Yep. And a lot of it's because of the ideology that has infiltrated Russia. Yeah. You can get these liberals to sit around and these, these bleeding hearts and these snowflakes sit around and, and think that all they need is a hug. Oh, well, you know, the problem with Afghanistan is we didn't bring them jobs. We should have brought more bombs. Forget jobs. You know, isn't that what Biden said before? We just didn't bring them enough jobs? I'm going to have to go back and research that. I remember that being said. Did he? Yeah. I remember I Obama talking about shovel-ready jobs. Yeah, well, <laughs> I know some shovel-ready jobs. Digging graves. Uh-huh. All right. Well, 
Hour and a half. I think this is officially our longest it, one ever. It definitely it? is, but I think things need to be said that were said. Well, I could go on forever, and I'm not going to. Um, I'm uh, Wednesdays with Jim. Wednesday night, eight o'clock. Facebook. All right. Um, it may go over an hour. I don't know because I got a feeling this is not going to calm down at all. Not in my world. Not in my heart. Um, you know, uh, I've I've seen too many soldiers. Section sixty, Arlington. You go to Section 60 at Arlington Cemetery, and you'll see an awful lot of graves and an awful lot of uh, uh, headstones of, of, of military people um, who went to the Middle East that didn't come back, not didn't come back the way they, uh, the way they left, that is. And, and their families miss them every day, and we can talk about all that we want to. I'm a firm believer that um, once you're a soldier, um, that's always an option. Mm-hmm. Can't cry over it because that's the option we chose. That's the option we took. That's the option we, uh, that we accepted. Right. You know, but when we have the politicians just spit on the bodies of my brothers and sisters, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will do my best to keep my language cleaner in future podcasts, but tonight I'm allowed. Yeah. I'm allowed. Well, when you sign that dotted line, that gives you the authority. I got the time. I got the resume. This coming weekend, Saturday, the what is it, the twenty first? I think it is. I'm going on a poker run and a ride for one of my brothers who uh, couldn't handle the 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 after effects of war, who hung himself in his front yard, mm-hmm. and I got to go look at his daughter in the eye, you know, and uh, look at uh, and live with people live live with stuff like that. We signed that dotted line. We all said we were going to do it, um, and we did. And we didn't lose just people uh, in 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 the Middle East. We lost and in Afghanistan. We lost them at home too. Yeah, this has changed our world forever. And for these politicians to spit on it the way they have, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a special place in hell for you. Oh, I agree. You know, I may be going to for all I know. But if they are, if I if I do, I'm gonna find the corner you're in. I'm gonna make hell even worse. Yeah. Well, last time I checked, Jim. You were a believer, so I'm not worried about you going down there. I'm a believer. But um, these people are making me, uh, making me wanting to do things that um, might take that status away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll, I will pray for you, brother. If, uh, we all need it, man. We all need it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've kind of jokingly said as long as I can uh, – you know, get that job of cleaning the corners out of the bathrooms in heaven. I'll be all right, and I'll still be okay if that's the way it works. But uh, tell you what, it's um, it's it's making it hard um, hard to process what yeah. my what my friends died for. Hard to process all this stuff, and then you know, it's amazing how many emails I got uh, today from different veteran organizations because of what's happening. Crisis hotlines; those numbers are going out. So um, you know, just for me to uh, me to my family, and you know who you are. You're my family. You wore that uniform just like I did. You know, I've never been one much to cry about, you know, mental health or, you know, poor pitiful me, but uh, if you are one of those people out there, man, reach out. You know, go to my website, go to my Facebook, message me. We don't ever have to meet before. You're still family. Right. So if there's things that, uh, you know, you're having a hard time dealing with right now, um, don't be like my friend Cody. I don't want to go on a poker run for you. I want to go on a poker run with you. Mm-hmm. All right? So uh, if you need help, call out. All right? That's all you got to do, man. It's just that easy. Don't hold it in. That's right. Well, let me say one thing. As a civilian, Jim, you know I love you, brother. 
I didn't wear, I didn't, I didn't wear the uniform, but you know, I'm always here for you. And you know, I have the utmost respect for all of our veterans. And if, if a veteran calls me and they've got a problem, I'll answer the phone as well. Because what you all did keeps me and my family free. And forever, I'll forever be indebted to you guys for that. Yeah, well, I'm forever indebted to my brothers and sisters because uh, you, can't, you can't fight these battles alone. No, you can't. You know, and uh, if you need uh, that brotherhood, never, never ends. Never ends. All right. So, uh, <sighs> should we roll music? Wednesdays with Jim. Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, come out, sit around, talk to us, see what's what. Um, this podcast won't come out until after this Wednesday, yep. but there's always another Wednesday. So check uh, thejimwood.com. Uh, that's where you'll find everything Wednesdays with Jim. Uh, we're going to have some scheduling alterations here coming up pretty soon on Wednesday nights, but it's only a few of them because of, pri- because of other uh, engagements, uh, helping some of the youth of our neighborhoods here. Um, so that'll happen, but, uh, make sure you check the website, check the Facebook page and see also the Liberty room.com, uh, Liberty room where we love our country. That's right. We love each other. We love our American uh, heritage and we love Americans. Um, and, uh, we are America first. Yes, we are baby. America first. All right. DJMwood.com, the Liberty room.com. See you on Wednesday. Hear me on Friday. That's right. Join us again next week. 